0: Our text for today comes from Luke chapter 10, verses 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert of the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. All right, if you are a kiddo in this room, ages two and up, meet me in the lobby. Don't move anywhere besides the lobby until I get out there, okay? We'll go have Have a party.
1: All right, we'll give those kiddos a second to get out. Spring break energy, right? Last week was our last throw of winter, hopefully, and this week, hopefully, it's warm and nice and we're all back towards uh, the good side of things this week. So, uh, two bits of information for you before we start. One is I'm not feeling 100% today, so be praying for me. And two, that means you're probably going to get a short sermon. If you're if you're into that type of thing, uh, I'm going to be sh- I'm gonna, I'm not going to be short. I'm going to be succinct and clear as possible, uh, and then we can go enjoy the beautiful day. How's that sound? Sound good? All right. So uh, we last week began a new series, uh, talking all about the stories of Jesus on the road, uh, beginning in Luke chapter nine. Jesus is on uh, the The gospel writer tells us that Luke resolutely sets his face towards Jerusalem. And and from chapter 9 all the way until Jesus reaches Jerusalem, you have what our scholars refer to as travel narratives. These stories of travel as Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And the story we have today is a story of being on the road. Now, the road is... Uh, something that in America we idolize, right? A little bit. Every rock and roll star who's ever lived has a song about being on the road and the freedom that it provides them. But one thing that that this idea of the road holds in the New Testament is this idea of discipleship. We are called to be on Jesus way on his road on the way with him as his disciples and all of the stories that we will talk about between now and palm sunday are stories that are meant to inform us as we follow Jesus on our way through life on as we follow our life our road and as we follow Jesus. And today, I think we are looking at a story that I'm sure everyone in the place is familiar with. Even if you're not particularly familiar with the details of this story, you know it in some way, shape, or form. It's just kind of in the culture. But there is a truth, I think, within this path, within this story of the Good Samaritan that Jesus wants us to capture. And that simply is that on the road of discipleship, on this road that we live as followers of Jesus— uh, one of the central truths, or the central realities that God wants to form inside of us, not just, a no, just not just knowledge for us to have, but a, a reality that God wants to be formed in us, is our love for neighbor. is our love for neighbor. Jesus wants you to interact with and love him in a close and personal relationship, but if that close and personal relationship does not work its way out into love for neighbor, then we learn from the scriptures that that is not the type of love that God would have for us. You simply can't love God and not love your neighbor, And so Jesus tells us the story of the Good Samaritan in order to stir both in our hearts and in our imaginations what it means for us to love our neighbor. And the imagination, as it turns out, is one of the most powerful tools for learning to love our neighbor. If you don't learn to love your neighbor in your imagination first, you will never learn to love your neighbor out in the real world when real circumstances come at you. And so this morning, I want to do a little bit of a mental experiment, an imaginative experiment, if you will. So I want you to do this, if you will. Close your eyes. And as you close your eyes, would you think about the person you like least in all the world? All right? This is the person that you think is almost nearly irredeemable. And all of the emotions that come to you when you see that person. Now, imagine that that person is in a car accident on the side of the road, and you see them there. And you look at them, they're, and you think to yourself, I could keep driving if I wanted to. But do you drive right past, or do you stop and help? What do you do in this moment when the person you like least in all the world is in peril, in need of your help? Now, let's just imagine, because we all want to be, see ourselves as good people, that you do pull over, you do help, you do, I don't know, you get this person out of a crick, you change their tire, whatever it is that is happening in your mind, you do help. And as you drive away from that, uh, if that, uh, from that encounter with this person that you like least in all of the world, how do you feel? Do you feel happy? Do you feel... Uh, a little disappointed in yourself that you helped your greatest enemy? You see, this is the feeling, I think, at least, at least in part, you can open your eyes. At, at least in part, that I think the gospel writer is attempting to get at when he tells us the story of the Good Samaritan. In the day that Jesus first told this parable, there Jesus is intentionally for his hearers, attempting to picture for them the person that they liked least in all of the world. Do you know that feeling when you run into somebody who's wounded you or hurt you? And it's almost not a feeling, it's a bodily reaction. I don't know about you, but maybe you feel something in the pit of your stomach. For me, I get the shakes, right? My hands start shaking a little when I run into somebody that's wounded me or that's hurt me. Jesus is attempting to elicit this feeling in his audience. He's attempting to tell them, like, these people are the people you don't like most of all, the Samaritans. And he tells them this in hopes that they can begin to see even their greatest enemy through Jesus' eyes, rather than through the eyes of their cultural assumptions or through the eyes of their own beliefs about who is uh, unworthy and who is worthy of love of love of scripture together but again this story places us on the road with our teacher jesus doesn't it and the translation of this passage tells us that uh, a lawyer stands up and asks jesus a question but as at the outset of this passage we know that there that this other teacher is looking to catch jesus this lawyer or this teacher of the law is looking to catch Jesus. This is not an innocent question that Jesus is first asked. It's actually a kind of trap that was set for him. And this expert of the law asked him this important question. What must I do to inherit eternal life? In verse 25. Not the, not the question we would think, right? Now Jesus understands that this teacher has some ulterior motives. And so he refuses to play ball with this individual. Uh, he turn, and instead, he turns the question around on him. And just so you know, Jesus in the Scriptures almost never uh, is subservient to someone else's agenda, right? He's always driving at some kingdom reality that he's wanting to communicate, both to the people he, who he interacts with in, uh, in, in these encounters, but also to his disciples and through the Scriptures to us as well. We see this a lot in the Gospels, that Jesus is often engaged in one of these games of gotcha, and he is never got, It's because Jesus was the smartest person who ever lived on top of being, it would be nice, right, Uh, if that was the case for us. But Jesus responds, what is written in the law? You're a lawyer, you're one who understands the law, what's written in there? How do you read it? And this expert in the law answers the question the exact way an expert of the law should answer this question by quoting the most important passage in all of the Bible, Deuteronomy 6, verse 4, or in Numbers fifteen thirty seven. This is what we read in this passage. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. The, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your heart. And there is a passage found in Leviticus 19, 18, which says this, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And so Jesus, after, this, uh, uh, after he has this interaction, points out exactly what was going on here. That These two verses are kind of mashed together in the, what is often called a Jesus creed. Jesus, uh, the Shema was this prayer that the people of Israel sent, uh, recited to themselves multiple times a day. It was the defining prayer of the Hebrew people. And yet, Jesus kind of mashes this prayer together with this Leviticus 19.18 passage in order to uh, show us something powerful. And, he, and Jesus says that it basically in agreement with this lawyer, do this and you will live, right? If, if Do this and you will live. But notice that the teacher asks in verse 28 and 29. He's not quite done yet. The teacher is not interested uh, in what everyone else already knows, right? He's trying to catch Jesus in some type of trap. And he wants to drag Jesus into a more hotly contested issue in their day. And so he asks another question. And he says, who is my neighbor then? And this is where we get on shaky ground a little bit. This is a big question. And it gets a, it, it's a question that gets to the heart of what Jesus is going to address in the parable that he gives. Because in this day, there was a lot of debate between rabbis and between religious scholars about who a neighbor actually was. There was a debate about this. No, There was not a consensus about who you should treat as a neighbor and who you shouldn't. Different teachers of the law held different opinions about who should actually be considered a neighbor. Some thought that only fellow Jews should be considered your neighbor. Others thought that only faithful Jewish people or those who observed the law faithfully were, were, were supposed to be considered your neighbor. So you could treat people who were uh, lapsed, lapsed followers of uh, lapsed Hebrew people or lapsed Jews as non-neighbors, in effect. But one thing is clear about the debate about who is neighbor in, in Jesus' day. People were definitely not looking to expand the definition of neighbor outside the boundaries of those people with whom they agreed or had something in common. Right? It's easy, isn't it, to view as neighbor, someone with whom you agree or someone with whom you have much in common. You see, they, these individuals at this, in Jesus' day really wanted to, their neighbor to be someone they liked and agreed with. They went out of their way to bend over backwards to try to ensure that the definition of neighbor was uh, reserved for those people with whom they agreed and with whom they liked or who they liked. So it would be like this. It would be like if a bunch of different pastors had a few different ideas about what what a Bible passage actually meant. I know that's a stretch. That never happens, right? But Jesus, in response to this question, sets on one of the most incredible and well-known parables he gives in the entirety of the Gospels to try and kind of piece together for his audience who a neighbor actually was. You see, Jesus is wading directly into a religious debate of his day, and he's, sa- and he's saying with this parable, I'm going to reorient your imagination about who is a neighbor and how they should be treated. And so Jesus begins to tell the story of the Jewish man who gets beat up and robbed on the road. And his own people, the ones who should consider him their neighbor, what do they do? They walk by. Because they are religious. And in order to carry out their religious duties at the temple, they could not become ceremonially unclean by touching blood or a dead person because he possibly could have been dead. And so they placed their religious functions or their religious duties or their religious convictions over love for neighbor. But then Jesus introduces us to a good Samaritan. And what you need to understand about the Samaritans in this day is that these, this was a group of people who the Hebrew people despised. Samaritans were kind of half-breeds. They were people that were the byproduct of intermarriage between Jewish people and pagan nations to the north. And they even said that they worshiped God, but they did it better than the Jews because they did it on a different mountain. There are stories from antiquity of the Jewish people of Israel, the Jewish people going up to Samaria and just waylaying and massacring Samaritans. This was something that was very common. There was out-and-out hostility, there was um, cultural and religious bias, and there was violence between these two groups of people. And so the Samaritan is traveling along the road And what does he do? He helps. He helps the Jewish person who is in danger. He comes near the man. He sees the man. He is moved by him. He goes to him. He bandages him. He pours oil and wine on him. He puts the man on his animal, brings him to an inn, takes care of him, takes out his own money, gives it to him, asks the innkeeper to take care of him, says he will return and repay Anything else, any extra expense. The Samaritan man loves the Jewish man so much that he was willing to be inconvenienced. He was willing to be put, uh, to put his own money and well-being up where uh, his own people, his own, his own Jewish people were not able to. That was partially a quote by Scott McKnight that I didn't actually read all of. Anyway, so here's the rub in the story here's the rub in the story, is that the bad guys are the religious leaders. And notice also who is asking this question of Jesus, right? It's a religious leader. So Jesus is asked this question by the lawyer, and then Jesus makes the guy asking the question the bad guy in the story he's about to tell, which is not a particularly uh, great way of engendering yourself to someone, is it? He tells the story in which the guy questioning him is the bad guy, and Jesus doesn't pull any punches here. He is cutting right through the debate of his day that surrounded him. Who is my neighbor? And he challenges all of those uh, underlying assumptions about who they ha- that they had in their hearts about who deserves to be loved. And see, by asking this question, who is my neighbor? The teacher was uh, looking for an excuse, right? He was probably looking for a way out or a way of trapping Jesus, but Jesus transforms the question and turns it on him. So the issue Jesus is addressing here is revolutionary in the whole course of human history. Actually, it goes against everything we have learned and believed. You know this, right? Human beings are tribal. We have tribal instincts to our very core. We are, we are, we are communal. We are... Uh, we are interdependent and interwoven, and the way in which we live our lives is as these little tribes, right? Little tribes of people who look to other little tribes of people, and we see ourselves in opposition to them. Now, throughout human history, we've had all different sorts of ways of determining who was in our tribe and who was outside of our tribe, whether that was skin color or nationality, language, or religion, whether that's a political affiliation or the team you root for in sports, go Hawks. <laughs> but we always have these ways, right? We always have these ways of determining who is outside the bounds of my in-group and who is inside the bounds of my in-group. And this, uh, this question is what kind of fuels the animosity in the world, isn't it? think about it for a minute. This tribal impulse that resides within the human heart is the very impulse that keeps us separated, that keeps us at war, right? And yet Jesus comes on the scene and he cuts straight through this impulse with this story. And he points out to each and every one of us, regardless of where we find our tribal allegiance, that the person which, with whom you have the least in common, the person that you would like the least, the group of people that you think are the most defiled and the most wrong are the very people to whom we are to display the love and grace of God in the most generative and generous way possible. This is what James says in James chapter one, verse twenty-seven. He says, "Religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress, and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world." You see, it is the the religion that God wants is not a a a religion of tribalism and line drawing. The religion that Jesus outlines for us is a religion of line-destroying, boundary-breaking love, the type of love that goes against the flow of what we think we should be doing. Because innate within our hearts is this tribal impulse to separate, to label, to speak ill of in order to make ourselves feel good. And yet, it is our responsibility as Jesus followers to begin to communicate the love and grace of God to everyone, because Jesus loves everyone, regardless of what you think of them. And this story, this parable, should be a challenge to each and every one of us, that we manifest something with our lives that looks different. Something that looks different than the, than the predominant culture often looks. Something that looks like loving people who we do not have anything in common. Something that looks like loving people with whom we have, uh, uh, with, uh, where loving people who we don't particularly like even. The test to determine if we love God is whether or not we love our neighbor whether or not we love people. You see, loving people is the proof of God's love residing in you. And like the, James says again, faith without works is dead. And so when we come to this passage of Scripture, we come to it with this understanding, right, that this will constantly be a challenge to us. The parable of the Good Samaritan is not one of those parables that you read once and then you figure it out and then you just like go about your life loving people perfectly with a Jesus-like love for the rest of your life. Actually, it doesn't work that way at all, does it? Because this parable is constantly, every day, consistently meant to be this kind of mirror that we hold up to our own uh, thoughts and feelings about other people. It's a story that's meant to challenge our baseline assumptions about who is to be loved and who is not. It's a story that's meant to challenge the tribal nature of our own hearts in such a way is that it motivates us to move towards people and not away from them. And I can't help but point out here that it seems quite clear that Jesus says that there is a kind of satanic religious impulse. An impulse to separate, and we've talked about this before, but an impulse to separate from other people that we think is motivated by our faith. But is actually a kind of uh, twisting of the religious impulse in the human heart. You see, whenever we have, whenever we think it's a religious impulse in our hearts to push people away, I would argue very often that that is uh, the opposite of what Jesus asks us to do. You see, we are called to be good neighbors, to be good Samaritans, not just to the people who are in our in-group not just to the people who we like, not just to the people who always treat us well, but to everyone. Now, I do want to give one small caveat here. There will be people who have actually hurt you and are dangerous people, and you should distance yourself from them, right? If you're in, if you're in this place and you've ever been in an abusive relationship, part of the way you love that person is to extricate yourself from that situation. So I'm not saying that you put yourself in abusive situations, but what I am saying is that when we are in a situation where we can affirm and love even the people with whom we disagree the most, that is exactly the place that Jesus would have us to be. And here is why it's all the more important. Because... Until we come to a a, a more full understanding of the ways in which God is calling us to love those people who we don't like or who who have done us wrong, we can never understand, to its fullest measure, the ways in which God in Christ has loved us when we were at our most broken, and when when we were his enemies. You see, God has never looked at you with anything other than love, but you have, throughout your life, very often looked at him with not love right? And when, and when God in Christ looks at you, what he sees is a person deserving of his love, his beloved son or daughter, one whom he would lay down his very life for. And, it, and it's incumbent upon us then to walk out into the world as emissaries, as messengers of this type of love in such a way as that we Communicate that through our good works. Through the way that we resist the impulse to demonize. We resist the impulse towards tribalism. And we pick up Jesus' mantle of loving embrace. Of those of those who we think maybe we don't have anything in common with. Now I know this is hard. It's hard for me. It's hard for you. It's hard for the best Christian you've ever met right? This is why we have the parable in the story, because it's hard for each and every one of us. But it doesn't release us from our obligation as followers of Jesus along his way of learning what it means to be uh, good Samaritans, of learning what it means to love God and to love neighbor, and of being a people of love in a world that wants to carve everybody up, right? In a world that wants you to demonize the bad people and love the good people, right? In a world that's always trying to manipulate you into finding yourself within this little niche of people who, ha- who set themselves over against this little niche of people, the kingdom of God throws its doors wide open to everyone and says, all are welcome and all are loved. And as kingdom people, it's our job as we respond to the grace of Jesus to love everyone in that very way. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? It's my prayer that God would make me and make you this type of follower of Jesus. One who can affirm and love those people that I have the most difficulty affirming and loving. That I can learn to bandage the wounds of, a peop- of whoever it is that I come into contact with. Not, uh, because, not to pat myself on the back and to feel like a good person, but because that's what Jesus would have us to do. Both physical and metaphorical wounds, right? And that we would find in this story a deep reservoir of inspiration and hope. And that as we go out into the world this week we would learn to love people the way Jesus does. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank you for this parable, this story of the Good Samaritan. And we ask today, God, that you would find us in this place this morning as people who want to grow in our love for neighbor because we want to grow in our love for you. We want to learn to reflect the goodness and grace of God out into the world. And so we want to we want to dig in deep into our hearts and find those little corners, those little sections of our being where maybe we have borne out or we've carried some type of anger. We might not have actually done violence, but we've carried some type of violence in our hearts towards another. And God, we ask that you would root that out of us and that you would help us to find a place of rest in your grace and love. And from that place, we could go out into this our world this week and love others the way you love them. Jesus, would you help us to be good Samaritans this week? And we ask it all in that name, in the name of Jesus. Amen and amen and amen. Well, I pray that you have a good spring break this week, that it gets warm and uh, that you have a good, uh, yeah, day. Go today in the grace and in the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.